Well, last week we began our study of the marvelous book of Proverbs by reflecting on why the pursuit of wisdom is so tremendously important. And I tossed out last week several particular ways that we might actually go about the process of acquiring even greater wisdom in our life. And I included in our reflections then a simple definition of wisdom that I want to repeat for us as we'll see it playing itself out again in our reflections this morning. Wisdom, I said, is the capacity to see things as they really are and to understand or perceive how things truly work or happen and to therefore know what to do in response what appropriate action to take in light of all of the uh, reality, the circumstances that surround us. Some of you like the even simpler way that Gerhard von Rod uh, put it, as I shared last week. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. And I asked last week, how many of you would like to be even more competent with regard to the realities of life. And pretty much every hand uh, or every heart shot up in some way uh, because we all recognize our need of wisdom. Uh, Today I want to further develop this concept by reflecting on a simple five-verse passage from Proverbs that has much to say about several important dimensions of life in which wisdom is really needed. And I want to say thanks in advance for Haddon Robinson, a preacher of yore, for his wonderful insight on this text that's helped me appreciate it even more deeply. So here again, if you would, the Word of God as it comes from the opening verse in this very brief passage. Four things on earth are small, writes the wise man, yet... They are extremely wise. I want to pause right there because that opening statement is, at least from the framework of the times in which we are living, highly countercultural. So much of our attention these days is directed towards the things that are large, the the bigness of the major movements of, of our time. Our fascination goes to the, to the G20 and all thought of all of the massive engines of political power that are uh, joining together in those kinds of conversations. Uh, our, our interest is in the large vertically integrated businesses, buying more and more of the economic landscape up in order to perform better service to the customer or uh, increase their profit margin. Our attention is drawn to the to the huge data sets which uh, so many of these companies are now relying upon to uh, do their uh, market analysis or scientific research is going forward on the basis of. uh, We look at the giant buildings and the summer blockbusters and the massive online courses in education. Everybody is just looking up all the time at the behemoth-sized phenomena of our era. And yet, there is this verse that comes to us from Proverbs that reminds us that sometimes the wisdom that is needed to make the very best of life is found by looking down at the small things. 
that, that sometimes our fascination with the large has to be replaced by a curiosity about the small from which we will draw foundational principles about the nature and the path of life itself. Consider the ant, for example, Proverbs says. Ants are creatures of little strength, says the wise man Agur. They're among the tiniest beings on earth. They're so easily squashable. They're so highly vulnerable. Yet, the wise man says, they have at least one attribute that we ought to be going to school on. He says, they store up their food in the summer. When it's summertime, ants work very hard. They barely sleep. They're always on the move. I know because I see them everywhere around my house. I feel like I'm waging a constant war against those tiny little creatures. Why is it? Why are they so busy? Well, it's because ants, in some simple way, see things as they really are, the first element of wisdom. They understand that, that a plentiful food supply is available now. It's summertime. It's when the kids are home. The snack cabinets are full. And, and they recognize the bounty that is available to them now. Secondly, they somehow understand how stuff works. I don't really know how that little ant brain functions, but I know that they somehow sense that now is the time to pursue the food because winter is coming. There'll be a season when it will be much harder to move around or to find food, and they will only have in that next season what they manage to store up right now in this season. And so they do the right thing in response, the third aspect of wisdom. They collect a lot of food. They fill their storehouse up with it. Now contrast the behavior of the ant with the proverbial grasshopper. You remember hearing as a child the, the fable of the ant and the grasshopper? You remember how the, the grasshopper, in contrast to the ant, spends his summer he spends it, as I recall, fiddling. He is playing about, he is dancing about, he's having a jolly good time. The last thing that is on his mind is the thought of working very hard. And then when the winter comes, he is tremendously hungry. And he wonders why he's been left in this terrible condition. And he goes about asking for others to solve his problem for him now. The Bible has a word for that kind of creature. In fact, that word gets used 64 times across the pages of the scriptures. And 41 times out of the 64 are right here in the book of Proverbs. And the word is simply fool. The grasshopper is a fool. A fool in biblical terms can be someone who is a tremendously charming and entertaining creature. A fool can be somebody who is reasonably well-educated and may have certain kinds of smarts. But a fool is somebody who, by definition, does not see things as they really are, does not seem to understand how stuff happens, and therefore does not do the appropriate thing given the circumstances. Fools are, are creatures that frequently repeat their mistakes. They do not seem to learn from experience or instruction. They tend to blame other people for their problems or expect other people to bail them out. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe you've 
been a person like that, at some point all of us are fools. And by God's grace we pray that we are led towards becoming wise people. Don't be a grasshopper, as the Bible is saying so often to us. Uh, don't be a grasshopper. Be, be more like the ant. Because ants know what season they're in. If there's one defining characteristic that Proverbs is trying to lift up for us here, as Haddon Robbins says, ants know what time it is. They understand where they are in the cycle of life, in the journey of life. And so I think the question for each one of us to ponder, the first one I want to just throw out today for you to think about for yourself is, do you know what season you're in? Uh, Are you conscious of of where you are on the storyline, the the string of time in your life? And are are you doing now with your family, uh, with your set of friends, with your finances, with your physical health or your spiritual health, what you will not be able to do later. I'm powerfully conscious of this at this moment. We have exactly one month till our boy leaves the house. Our last child goes off to college. I will not get this time back later. Uh, this is sort of the la- these are the last days of this season. And I'm powerfully conscious that I need to pay attention to that and act appropriately in these days. So what are the shared experiences that you want to be establishing in, in your sphere right now? What are the, what's the conferral of values? What, what are the deep relationships? What are the scriptural truths? What is the treasure in heaven you want to be storing up right now? Because here's a very wide word from the ant for us all. Winter is coming. Long before Game of Thrones stole that one. Proverbs is trying to urge us to realize winter is coming. Or or learn from the wisdom of the hyrax. Proverbs 30, 26 says to us, Hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Now, i got to tell you that when I first read this particular passage, I was entirely stumped by it. For the simple reason is, I had no clue what a hyrax was. It sounded like a creature out of Dr. Seuss or Harry Potter. Maybe Hagrid uh, kept hyraxes. Uh, I didn't understand that. So I did a little bit of digging, and and I discovered that in the ancient world, a hyrax was a rock badger in our common parlance. Hyraxes are these sort of pint-sized prairie dog creatures that have a grayish coat that helps them blend in very well with the rocky habitat uh, that they live in most of the time. And blending is especially good for hyraxes because another word for hyrax, at least in the dialect of wolves and coyotes and lions is, hyrax means tasty, tasty. And so every mature hyrax, it only got to maturity as a hyrax if it had learned this, if it could see things as they really were, could understand how stuff happens and know what to do. Every hyrax figured out, if I want to remain secure, then I need to stay close to the rock. 
I need to stay close to the rock. I actually need to, to hide in the cracks or the crags of those rocks because no matter how muscular or speedy or experienced I am, I'm a fool who's not going to last long if I wander too far from that rock. So here's the takeaway. Hyraxes know where their security is found. Ants know what season they're in. Hyraxes know where their security is found. Do we know where our security is found? Sooner or later, every wise person realizes that no matter how gifted they are, they're not going to outrun death. Sooner or later, every wise person figures out that um, they don't have the strength to climb to the very top of the moral mountaintop and be able to confidently justify themselves before God on the basis of how amazingly good they've always been and have him say, oh, you're the best, come on into my heaven. Sooner or later, everyone realizes that though they have little power, there is a place they can make their home. If they're wise, they understand this. I love the old hymn. Many of you know these words by heart. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. It was written by a holy hyrax someplace. (laughs) Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side, Jesus, which flowed, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Because time is precious and I have some sense of the season we're in, I just want to ask you this. Have you found your security in Jesus Christ? Have you put your hope for the future in the rock himself? And and if you've never done it before, I just want to urge you to say to God right now, I'm coming home. I'm letting go, God, of the other dependencies, the other securities that I've always been counting on. I've really been trusting more than I have in you. And I'm asking you to receive me, to take me into yourself, to forgive me of my sins, to wash away the pain and the guilt of the past and, and, and to let me be home with you. If you've never done that before, I urge you, let today be the day. Maybe as you come to this table, be the beginning of this new life in Jesus Christ. Because if you do this, you will now and always be secure. Ants, you see, know what season they're in. Hyraxes understand where their security is found. What about the third small creature that is mentioned in Proverbs 30? Verse 27 reads, Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. It's a fascinating observation, it strikes me, because when you meet a locust on its own, it's not a particularly formidable creature. If you find one, you can easily step on it. You can pull off its wings or its legs if you want. If you're a small child, you may have done that at some point. I'm not commending it as a behavior. But, but you know how vulnerable a single locust is. And yet, 
When they advance together in ranks as one army, they form a force that's unstoppable. And this is so true. Uh, When uh, the, the writer of Proverbs here was talking about locusts, he was thinking of the desert locusts that inhabit the Uh, the arid regions of the Middle East and of Northern Africa. And the desert locust has been known to form a swarm of up to 460 square miles in size. Swarms of, of these desert locusts have been known to fly from Africa to the Caribbean, 8,000 miles as one army moving together. When a swarm descends to feed, that pack of locusts can pack up to 80 million of themselves into less than a half square mile. They can organize themselves to put 80 million of them on a tiny plot of land and can consume absolutely every single organic thing, every edible object in its its path. I have seen swarms of teenagers do this with snack cabinets (laughs) over these last years too. So the power of the locust is a stunning thing. As Proverbs say, locusts don't have a king to organize them, but by instincts... Locusts know the power of community. Somehow by instinct, they know the power of community. And working together, though they have no king, they can overrun kingdoms. They can destroy entire economies. They have. Such is the power of their community. I'm told of an old man who once visited an asylum that held the criminally insane. And when he got there to to this place, he was absolutely uh, astonished because there were only three guards to to look over uh, more than a hundred of these criminally insane inmates. And so he goes up to one of the guards and he says, aren't you guys a little bit worried that with so many of them and so few of you, they'll, they'll band together and they'll overrun you and escape from this place? And the guard said, not at all. Lunatics never unite. I don't know. I maybe could change that opinion. But, but unitic, lunatics so often are so locked into their own perspective, into their own agenda, that they actually miss out on the potency that could be established through a more generalized kind of community. Locusts unite. Christians, wise Christians, unite. Being bound together regularly with other believers is the, is the secret to the Christian life. It's why it's so wonderful that you're here today doing what you're doing when you could have been off doing so many other individual things on this particular day of your life. And yet, so often we find that it's as we come to worship weekly together and to 
and to grow in these groups that we meet in during the week and, and serve on ministry teams and mission teams together that we exert a force and a power and a potential that far transcends what we as individuals could ever really accomplish or even experience. We can't stand up to the forces of this world. We cannot possibly influence this world in the way that it needs to be influenced without this kind of community. And if we don't realize that, Proverbs is telling us, then we don't have the good sense of a bug. That's really what the writer is saying there. So there's a lot we can learn from God's small wonders from these little creatures. Uh, Ants know what season they're in. Hyraxes know where their security is found. Locusts understand the power of community. And finally, a lizard can be caught with the hand, says the writer. Yet, it is found in king's palaces. Have you ever caught a, a lizard with your hand? When I was a little boy, our family vacationed regularly at the uh, resort in Bermuda that had been where my grandparents in 1934 had their honeymoon. And it's a, it's a very, very beautiful and special place, uh, perched on the edge of a cliff overlooking the turquoise uh, sea. And uh, it has these marvelous marble floors and this wonderful uh, dance floor outdoors and and it's a place so beautiful that the royalty of England also vacation there. And on occasion over the years when we've been there, there's been a duchess or a duke here in this place. And yet there where royalty is living, there are these little lizards that scamper about under the tables at night and around the feet of the patron, patrons there. And when I was a little boy, I would catch these lizards and I would cup them in my hand. And I can tell you from experience that that, that very cute geico gecko aside, um, lizards are really actually not very attractive creatures. I mean, they've got these bulbous eyes and, and they have these, you know, kind of creepy, sticky feet and they have these slimy, scaly skins. It just kind of weirds you out to hold them for very long and you kind of want to let them go and not pick them up again. That's the nature of lizards. And yet, the Bible tells us that the lizard is found in the palace of the king. And what the, the writer is trying to point to here is the incongruity of that, of being a creature like that and yet allowed into an environment like that. And there's a theological word for this incongruity that you know well, and that word is grace. Lizards know the gift of grace. That's their instruction to us, in a sense. Lizards experience and rejoice, I suppose, in that gift itself. Ugly and awkward as they are, they get to walk the halls of majesty and scamper around the throne. And what we're being asked to remember is that so do we. So do we. There's a lot about us that is somewhat lizard-like, at least from the perspective of divinity. A lot of us aren't much to look at, if not on the outside, then on the inside. We've got our lizard-like creepy aspects. 
But the amazing grace is that God forgives that. God cares for us as creatures in spite of that. And we have been allowed into the presence of the king himself. And God actually delights in us. He actually reaches out with his hands. The image of the cross is the ultimate picture of this. He reaches out with his hands to embrace us and to take us into his company. To draw us into his family. And as C.S. Lewis wisely observes one day he is going to transform even the lizard likeness about us into a permanent kind of glory we're going to become says lewis one day creatures so magnificently beautiful so not lizard like anymore that were anyone to see us in that condition now they would be sorely tempted to fall down and worship us That like we shall be to the one who is alone worthy of worship. What if we could start seeing each other today in light of that eternal destiny? What if you and I could start looking at the people seated around us here even this very morning who are bound for the palace of the king And begin to affirm the beauty and the goodness and the future of these precious ones in our midst. What if you could go out of here today and face whatever conflicts, challenges, difficulties, circumstances you will face in these days to come with the absolute confidence of knowing your destiny, how the king looks upon you and what he has planned for you. As we come to the table of the king today, I want to invite us to make a personal commitment afresh. I encourage you to to make a personal commitment along with me to try and live out even more deeply the lessons of these small wonders, these little creatures that God has put around us as signs, as, as cues to a greater kind of wisdom. Like the ant, decide that you're going to do something in this season right now with a greater awareness that winter is coming. Just pick one thing you're going to invest in more deeply and commit to doing that. Like the hyrax, ground your security in Christ alone. He is your rock. He is the one in whose cleft you're safe forever like the locust resolve that you're going to do your life in community you're going to find a group you're going to be more regular in worship you're going to join a mission team or a ministry team you're going to value even more the circle of friends available to you invest in them you're going to do life in community and like the lizard take joy today take joy in the grace That just as you are, you have been allowed to scamper here, to sit here, to dine here at the table of the king. For it is in the living out of these simple ways of being that we enter even more into the way of wisdom 
that is God's hope for each one of us. Here ends the reading and the reflection upon God's holy word. And may he be glorified in our lives. Amen.